So I asked Elisha to share tonight on something that he's been talking a lot about the last few weeks, and I have just been so encouraged, and my brain has been so twisted in a good way to see the gospel and to see salvation through a different perspective and also see practical lifestyle Christianity through a different perspective as well. So today we're just going to be talking about some of the dangers surrounding if then Christianity and we'll kind of explain more like (laughs) what I mean by that, how it has crept up into our own belief of what we believe to be true about our faith in Christ. And hopefully this is just encouraging and a little bit mind-bending for you guys. Just this concept that we're working through, it's not fully fleshed out yet, but I'm excited to just dive in and have a conversation about it. So anyways, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. If you do and you're listening on our, I want to say webinar, but it's not a webinar, our website then if you could head over to iTunes and leave us a review, that would be so, so awesome. That just helps get more exposure to the podcast, and we love connecting with more of you. Hey, I'm Elisha Votberg. And I'm his wife, Katie. Katie and I both grew up in families that were fun, impactful, and relationship-rich. Now that we're a family of our own with three young children under the age of three, we're eager to see what God can do through the family unit. We're so excited that you're joining us on this podcast as we dive into what the Bible says about marriage, children, parenting, money, sex, careers, roles, and so much more. Katie, are you ready? Let's go. Well, folks, we're back in Idaho. Last week, we recorded from Florida as we are wrapping up a great family vacation, and we hustled on back here to Idaho, and uh, we were supposed to rest for a few days because we were pretty depleted, our health was, and our energy levels were pretty low, Uh, but instead, we decided to renovate our living room. (laughs) Well, I feel like you hit the ground running because I stayed in bed for, I a full day and a half after we got home. Which I told you to. I was you like, took I, the kids and I literally laid in bed. And I was very serious about you staying in bed. <laughs> Katie has a lot of like false advertisement moments when it comes to her resting. And she'll be like, hey, I think I should get some rest and I'll be in favor of it. And then she never does it. She just keeps working, keeps being productive. But this was, I really held you to it this time. You did. And that was such a huge blessing for me because I was wiped I like barely made it through last week's episode. I like could not see further than the end of my nose. But we got home. I feel like a new person just being home for a week, even though it was a crazy big week with all the renovations we had going on. We're kind of in the middle of them right now. But it's just good to be home. It is. In in your own space. And uh, And the kids are so much better. I love seeing how much more comfort and security our kiddos have when they come back to their home. And how they're so much more responsive to us. And when we control the environment, we're able to be so much more consistent in our in our training and in our disciplining and just being able to parent them the way that we feel is the most effective for our children. Yeah, I know there are those families that just thrive on travel and mm. they all do and they all hit these rhythms and stuff. 
But I, well, this is actually how bad it is. Is I told Elisha, I was like, I just want to stay home, like indefinitely. And Elisha's like, yeah, me too. And then yesterday, like day three or four of being home, he comes and tells me he wants to go to New York for a day and then fly to France for three days. And I was like, I don't really want to go do that. And he was like, well, then I'll go by myself. Like, you know, thinking then I'm going to feel like I'm missing out. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I thought I was like giving her, you know, a zinger by telling her that I was going to go without her. But it was like even more hurtful to me that that she's like, okay. I was like, what? No, that was, I was trying to hurt your feelings. No, like I would miss you, but that's how little I want to leave my house right now. I would rather you go have like this great world traveling experience without me than have to go. (laughs) Uh, But I'm not doing that because deep down, I don't want to do it without you. And deep down I would go. So if you went. Okay. I'm glad we've got that established. (laughs) Uh, So today, you know, Katie and I, I think we've mentioned before, we're so grateful for the church that we've found here in Idaho. And we find so much encouragement and we just feel so, I guess, exhorted and edified by the pastor and, and what he preaches and also the people that are a part of the congregation. And I think the reason we're so pumped about it is because it really is fueling something that we've already, that we've been passionate about for some time, even before finding this church. And, uh, and this might sound simple, but we're really passionate right now about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay. So this sounds embarrassing, but this is the first church in my entire life I've looked forward to going to church hmm. strictly for the service. Wow. It's, I've always had a different motive for wanting to go to church. Yeah. It's never been for the teaching. Right. Yeah. My maybe, whole life. Maybe like for fellowship or. Yeah. Maybe it's to see people like, I mean, growing up, it was always just to see my friends mm-hmm. and I feel like it's kind of always been that way. Like, oh, maybe so-and-so will be there and I'll connect with them. Yeah. Um, but this is the first time where I'm like. I can't wait to go to church and hear what our pastor is going to teach on. I yeah. leave so encouraged. It's funny because I, I've known and, and Katie, I think I've said it for many years that I want, you know, like a gospel infused or a gospel themed church. And I don't know if I knew what that looked like, but I knew I wanted it. And I, and I, and you've said before too, that you don't know, you didn't know what that would look like or what that meant. And yeah. I feel like this church really is that, at least our, our experience there so far. You know, we've only been there a couple of months, uh, maybe been there for six six Sundays, I think. And to me, I'm so encouraged because it's not that I think a lot of times when I, when I hear, or maybe when people hear gospel-centered, they think that there's like an altar call every Sunday, or there's this walking through of the, of the gospel message every Sunday. And what I mean by gospel-centered is that he, he'll he preach on any book of the Bible. I mean, he's been going through either Isaiah or um, Hosea. He's been doing—he did a little, you know, deviation into Isaiah a couple weeks before Christmas. But regardless of where he's at in the Bible, he, he notifies us as to how the gospel affects that passage. And I think that's what's so encouraging is that oftentimes I've gone to the Old Testament or I've gone to Psalms and Proverbs— and I've read them through this lens of basically not believing that the gospel is true. It's like I'd, re- I'd I would know that 
my righteousness is in Christ and that my salvation is secure in him, it, like at least I would say that, and then I'd go to the Old Testament and see what God's saying to the Jews, and I would tell myself, well, gosh, I need to, I need to do this. I need to do better. And, and sometimes I think that would even be the message from the pulpit, is it would be kind of like this moral exhortation where a pastor would take a passage from, you know, Hosea or, or Isaiah or, or anywhere in Deuteronomy, and he'd say, hey, look what God's saying to the children of Israel. What does this mean for you? What do you think he's saying to you to change in your life or to, you know, what are the false idols in your heart that you need to get rid of? And of course, like, we're never going to say, well, that's bad. Like we, we, it's good to be convicted. It's good to be challenged in those ways. But without the hope of the gospel, we are just like the children of Israel that did not have the spirit of God living with them. They were spiritually dead and we are spiritually alive in Christ. And so the message and the takeaway certainly should be different than what it would be for in this instance that I'm using for the children of Israel. Well, I think part of the problem surrounding this is that the word gospel, I feel like is Christianese. Hmm. We don't even know what that means. Yes. We're like, okay, gospel means good news. Uh, we use gospel synonymously with salvation. And at least for me, I'd hear the gospel. Yeah. And I would think altar call what we mean by the pastor drawing out the gospel. And I don't even know if I can articulate this that well yet, is he always pulls out the good news of it's impossible to do these things outside of Christ. Mm. And the good news is, is that Christ has done it. Mm -hmm. That's right. And that's the gospel. That's, that's the gospel for saving us from eternal damnation. That's the gospel for a life well lived here on earth. Mm -hmm. It's this complete destitution in and of ourselves in mm -hmm. a recognition of that that's right but then this turning our eyes on christ and realizing that christ has already done all these things for us and because of what he's done we are righteous before god and can walk in that manner and free can, from sin yes, yes walk free from that sin so i mean you're probably going to touch on this more but i just even as you're saying gospel you know i think it's hard to sometimes articulate like okay how is he drawing out what do you mean when he's drawing out the gospel in every book of the yeah, Bible? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that I'm still learning what that means because, you know, the gospel, like you said, we, we listen to gospel music. Um, the gospel is a word that's thrown around and we, it's like everybody's interpretation of it. It seems to be different in the church. And, um, I did some research on the root word of God of gospel. Oh, yeah. You see that? Did you do it in yeah. that giant book? Well, giant I, theology you know, what's book? funny is I pulled out the giant systematic theology book that I have and I held it in my lap and then I Googled what the Greek word for gospel was. And so <laughs> I did feel cool holding that book, but ultimately I just went to Google way faster to go to Google. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, well, but I think that, I mean, I'm being kind of teasy because it always like, it's hard for me not to like roll my eyes or look cross-eyed when pastors start pulling out the Greek and the Hebrew, but I know that there is so much profundity and so much more meaning and depth to be had when you do go to the root word. And I think this is one of those cases. Um, I will, I will try to say this, the Greek no, word for gospel as fast as possible. Cause I don't really know how to say it. I don't think Greek actually is a spoken language anymore. Yongleon. Um, <laughs> Yongleon. It's yeah, whatever you can, you can look it up for yourselves. Yongleon. Maybe I'll uh, spell it out in the notes. Yeah. But the, this was used in ancient time as a messenger coming and declaring that a battle had been won. 
That's where this word comes from, Jungleon. Um, And when I think of that in regards to the gospel of Jesus Christ, I think it changes my perspective of it. It's a declaration of something that's already occurred. And oftentimes I would view the gospel as something that I needed to um, like initiate. I needed to, it was like an invitation. And am I going to take the invitation to to this gospel message or am I going to respond? Well, whether I respond or whether I believe it or not, it's still true. You know, when that messenger's mm-hmm. coming to declare that a victory's been won by, the, you know, their army, it's just true. And people can believe it and they can live in the in the freedom that comes from that one victory and say, well, wow, we don't have to live in fear of our enemy anymore because our army, army's defeated them. Or if they don't believe it, then they'll continue living in the bondage of this fear of, of the enemy. Now, this is the... You know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest victory of all time because not only is it de- defeating our eternal enemy, you know, or the rival of Satan and hell and sin and making us right with God, you know, it, you know that it satisfied the wrath of God and that we get to have this eternal hope. But there also does get to be an earthly implication in that too, and that sin was conquered on, on that cross, you know, and sin was defeated and we get a walk in freedom from that. So when I think of the gospel and I think of it in regards to that, you know, that Greek definition and and people using that in regards to declaring that a victory has been won, then it really changes the way I, I view the gospel. Wow. I love that. You didn't share that with me. Oh, really? No. Man, I was holding out on you, I guess. You were. That's a nugget. I, You guys, I love that word picture. That's so simple, like a simple way to picture it. Hmm. The battle's been won. Mm-hmm. The battle's been won in a moment of temptation. The battle's been won like in a very practical way when I'm going to be short with you know my husband or my mm-hmm. kids. The battle's been won and that I'm free from eternal damnation. Mm-hmm. It's already happened. It has. And I get to live in that freedom. Yes. And I think what's beautiful is that when you believe that on a face value, uh, on face value terms, that you're saved. You know, that if we believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that we confess with our mouths that, he, that with our mouth that he is Lord, then we are saved. You know, that we just a simple belief in that gospel does bring saving faith. It brings salvation. But the deeper you look into the gospel, you realize the implications are, it's like past finding out. I think that we will be discovering the implications of this victory our entire lives. And I think that we will, we will continue to see the implications of this gospel message even through eternity when we are in, you know, when we are in, in the presence of God. And so that's why I think I, I am so fired up about the gospel is because not only at face value and when you believe it just in that simple truth you have eternal life but when you start to see how that has the implications carry over into like it touches everything the gospel touches everything it touches our life here on earth it touches how we view child training it touches our marriage it touches our finance it touches you know like i mean to me it's still the sweetest part about it is that i've got this eternal victory that you know, that I do not have to face the wrath of God for my imperfections, for the sin that's in my heart, for the sins that I've committed. I don't have to face the wrath of God for that. They've been, it's been satisfied on the cross. Uh, So I definitely have my favorite aspects of the gospel, but I think that there are aspects that I'm continuing to discover that I hope to for years to come. 
Well, I think that's what's so cool is that as a child, you can understand the simplicity of Jesus won the battle on the cross. Mm -hmm. He conquered sin. And if I believe that, then his his righteousness will also cover me. That's right. You can understand that as a child. But I think for me, that understanding really stopped there. Hmm. And we've touched on this throughout other podcasts. That's where the gospel stayed for me. It stayed in this box. It stayed on the cross. Mm-hmm. And when someone said, a, you know, a gospel center church, I pictured the altar call and someone mentioning that story on the cross. Yes. And specifically that story. And that's why it's been so, or, you know, it's not even a story, that truth, which is so powerful. But I think what's so cool is the more you look into God's word, you see every single book of the Bible points to what Christ has done. Mm-hmm. That's right. What he's overcome, what he's conquered, and how we get to walk in freedom and the implications of that freedom here and eternally. Yeah. You know, nat- as natural human beings, we think in terms of law, you know, that tells us in Romans 2 that the law of God is written on our hearts. And whether or not it's distorted or kind of, I guess, um, watered down, every human being thinks in regards to law. We naturally do that. And that's why I think it's all the more important to not stop preaching the gospel to ourselves and to each other. And that is because the gospel is not naturally how we think. We think in regards to cause and effect, or if I do this, then this is the, the, the result. This, we, that's just how we think in life. That's how business usually operates. That's how most you know, friendships kind of operate, this kind of give and take. You do this, I do that. That's just kind of how we view the world naturally. The gospel is counter to that, and it says this has been done 100% on your behalf. You believe it. And then you live accordingly. You live like this has been taken care of for you because it has been taken care of for you. I loved when you were talking the other morning and you were drawing out the difference of even how we operated or how the Jews operated in the Old Testament Mm. and how that looked compared to the New Testament. Mm. And there was if and then clauses that were very, very strict in the Old Testament. And that's how you were saved. Hmm. If you killed the spotless lamb and spread it on your doorpost, then, you know, the angel of death would pass over or they're just very specific laws Mm -hmm. back in the old Testament. And we like to take that into the new Testament, which is a lot more based on the word therefore. Right. Yes. And okay. So, you know, I looked up my little Greek word too. It was kind of an accident. (laughs) I was looking up how many times therefore is mentioned in the new Testament and it's almost 600 times. Wow. So there's a lot of, but there's just so much more certainty Mm -hmm. in the new Testament where there's so much uncertainty in the old Testament. That's right. Because therefore that word is saying, because Christ has done this, That's right. because we can be confident in, in this, because the battle's already been won, like you said, these are all factual things that That's we're right. basing the therefore on. Therefore, this is how you walk. That's right. Because this has happened, therefore do this. Whereas in the Old Testament, it's like, okay, if you do this, then this That's is right. going to happen. Then God will be kind. He'll Which show is favor. a terrifying way to live your life. It is, yeah. And, and yet... We still go that way naturally, even as Christians, even 
people that believe the gospel, our propensity is to think in terms of if then, if then, that we think in regards to that rather than therefore or... Uh, yeah. Wait, is that what you were saying? Yeah. 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 That's right. Because, yeah. because this has happened. That's right. Therefore. Right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and I think of this even in regards to popular passages that I would go to and find, I would like stir up conviction. You know, I think that second Chronicles seven, this is a, this is a very popular passage and this is, you know, this is directed towards the children of God, uh, Israel, and it says, if my people, which call are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and will and their and heal their land. And like I still hear that verse preached all the time as like an exhortation to Christians, people that are Christians. I hear people talk about that verse in regards to like America. Oh, like we need to and he's got to heal our land. First off, he's talking to Israel, not America. And second of all, we are healed in Christ. Like what more? We've been given all things that pertain unto life and godliness. He has forgiven us our sins. We need to believe, but we are prone to thinking we've got to do something else. And so when we read this, we insert our names and, and we say, okay, I need to humble myself. I need to pray and seek his face and turn from my wicked ways so that he will forgive me and he'll hear from heaven and he'll heal my land. And that seems like a really good thing to tell yourself or to preach to people mm -hmm. because stopping your wicked ways or humbling yourself, those are all good things, right? That's like, you think, well, that's a really good thing to do. The problem is, is that nobody's ever done that before perfectly. Nobody's ever, that's what, if people took this verse in Second Chronicles and applied it, then there would have been no need for Christ's sacrifice, but nobody did. And he did forgive us of our sins and he did heal us and he gave us a new name by doing the work himself that we could not do. Well, I love that. If you take that in a, in a, like a more new Testament context, because he has healed us That's right. and freed us. Wow. And you know, then humble yourself. Then therefore, therefore humble, humble yourself. yourself. That's right. Exactly. It's like, because he's already done this work, then turn from your wicked turn, ways. Therefore yes, turn from your wicked ways right. and humble yourself. So it's like, these things are still true. It's just a completely different context yes. and that he's already done the promise. Therefore it should elicit this certain response that's right and and i mean what's crazy is that it tells us to humble ourselves but when you believe that the work's been done the only way you can respond is is in humility is, is with in humility and and that's what's i think that's the danger of thinking in regards to you know i think in regards to law versus gospel is that if you are carrying anything re that's regarding this like if my people will like if i do this if i hold up my end of the bargain if I, you know, keep myself pure, it's going to result in either pride or despair. Those are really like the two results from that mindset. Either you have, you know, it might be, it might be small, but you still have pride in your heart because you think you are kind of holding up your end of the deal or despair because if you're honest with yourself, you know that you can't hold up your end of the deal and walk in a way that's worthy of the calling. Yeah. I felt both those things. Me too. For sure. <laughs> yeah. I felt like I'm doing good there's really no need to do any better and this is why my life's being blessed clearly yeah because i'm following god's laws so and then i've also felt despair yes at this is not working out and i can't do it yeah and 
I think that naturally we go to, well, then if we just tell people that is like, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You know, we, everybody goes to that Romans six question. Well, no, we've got to do something. We can't just keep living in sinfulness. And that's, that's why, I mean, that's why God wrote Romans six, you know, is what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, no, don't you realize that the gospel is, if you believe the part of that is that sin was conquered and that you actually died with Christ, that you were buried with him. And now you're risen again, freed from sin. The old man is dead, has no power over you whatsoever. So to ask the question, well, what shall we just continue in sin is a real, it's a, it's a moot question to ask because you're actually dead to sin now. And you're actually a slave to righteousness is what we, is what we are called in Romans. And so those, all those questions are, are asked and you know those rhetorical questions are asked in the bible for us where where we naturally go when when we're sitting in the pulpit or if you're if you're hearing that this grace message of no there's nothing you can do to earn your righteousness it's a hundred percent a gift you have to receive and you say well wait so then what do i just continue sinning do i just continue? well and then and the questions answered no the gospel makes us dead to sin and alive in christ yeah, I just piggybacking off of that Colossians two, in verse five, who wrote Colossians? Paul. Paul. Okay, yeah. I thought it was Paul. God, no God. God wrote Colossians. Yeah. <laughs> the Holy Spirit. Yes, through Paul, uh, he's talking about how he's rejoicing to see the firmness of their faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. So he, this is already assumed they have a firm faith in Christ, and then in verse six it says, "Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus mm-hmm. the Lord." That's right. So walkie in him. That's right. And so it's just as you have already received this salvation, like you said, now the old man is dead. Mm-hmm. He has been crucified. So now we can walk in that freedom. Yes. And, and you know what? There's a real danger in works-based righteousness or striving in our own efforts to earn anything, even if we think that maybe our our eternal hope is in Christ's work, but we're trying to work for a little bit extra blessing in this life from God. There's danger in that too. You know, Romans four tells us now unto him that worketh not is the reward reckoned of grace. No, sorry. Let me, I'm going to say this one more time. It says, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And right before them that it says now to him that worketh, is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So if you want to work for it, by all means, go for it. But you're not going to get grace. Grace is 100% a gift or it's not at all. And so mm. that's a dangerous and scary thought for me. That it says, to him that worketh not. So no working for this. But instead believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. And that's the type of faith that you need for salvation yeah. is the faith that is a hundred percent depending on the work of Jesus Christ. Well, cause he was the only perfect man. That's right. And so we've already fallen so short that if we're counting on our works, we're toast. That's right. I think you see this danger of if then Christianity and every single toxic form of Christianity or, you know, I guess saying, Oh, I'm a Christian. Right. Right. I don't know if I explained that very well, but I'm, I'm going to keep going. Okay, keep and you going. guys will see what I'm saying. For instance, like we see legalistic 
Christianity Definitely. in different forms. And legalism isn't in the Bible, but you guys know what I'm talking about. It's this Christianity that we think, okay, if I do this, then I will be righteous before God and God will delight in me. Yeah, or maybe more righteous. I'll be a little bit more righteous than the other Christians. Yeah, yeah. and we see this in a lot of conservative Christian groups. Mm -hmm. Elisha and I have been a part of a lot of conservative Christian churches where people fall into this mindset of whatever they think is going to make them more biblically sound or more righteous before God. Yeah. Yeah. We also see it a lot. You see, you see legalism in every genre of Christianity. Unfortunately, that's where we tend to go as humans in general. And you see it very often in liberal Christianity saying mm -hmm. we need to do more. We, there needs to be more philanthropy. There needs to be more uh, social justice carried out. We need to do, 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 do. And it's a setting a standard that's that only Christ can fulfill. And instead of preaching Christ as the remedy, as the answer to sin that is so evident, you know, as far as, as instead of preaching Christ as the only one that brings justice, we put that burden on ourselves and it's an even more legalistic form of Christianity. Yeah. Really the social gospel is almost deifying yourself mm -hmm. and saying, if I live out these morals, then I can save the world. Yes. Or if enough of us live out these good social justice things, That's right. then we can save the world. Yeah. And we also see this with maybe prosperity doctrine or like a toxic prosperity doctrine, which is if I have enough faith or if I have enough, you know, righteousness in and of myself, then I'll be rich That's or right. I'll be blessed or I'll have a happy marriage. We see this in purity culture that was mm -hmm. taught in a twisted way. If I save myself for marriage, then I will have a good sex life or right. then I will have a good marriage. And the thing is with this is that all other religions have this if then clause in common. Yes. The gospel is the only ones that the only one that's different. Yep. That's right. And, and, and so I guess I feel real quick, yeah. like we're reducing Christianity. We're we reducing are. what Christ has done to literally be on par with every other religion, which requires man to save himself. Yeah. I mean, our brother-in-law, Adam, kind of makes, he, he makes this comment often regarding Christianity. And he says, like, a great apologetic for our faith is that if you put three guys or five guys in a room and we're like, okay, come up with a religion you know, spend as many hours as you need, never would they come out and say, okay, here's the religion. Uh, it's, it's pretty simple, but, and, and there's kind of a kicker. Here's the kicker. You don't do anything for this religion. In fact, it's, it's done a hundred percent by God himself. He's the one that makes you right for himself. He's the one that wrote the story. He's the one that is the hero of the story. He gets all the praise. And that is unique to Christianity apart from, apart from any other religion. Yeah, so it's just, it's a really dangerous place to be when we start getting into, if I do this, then this will happen in a very law-based, very law-based belief instead of a gospel-based belief, because even if it's incremental, we start rejecting what Christ has done, and we can reject him wholly. That's right. And just start relying on ourselves. Yeah, and I think that oftentimes, Katie, just to kind of, or say one more thing in regards to some of the things you mentioned about, you know, saving yourself for marriage sexually and you'll have a more blessed sex life or, um, you know, having more faith. There are the natural law of, of this world still applies. 
to people. You know, the we're told in Matthew, Jesus says, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Mm-hmm. And this takes place, you know, is there a greater blessing in not being an alcoholic versus being an alcoholic later in life if you both receive Christ? Yeah, there is a blessing. Like for one, your liver's in far better shape if you're non-alcoholic. There's probably a lot less, you know, baggage, a lot less hurt in your past. You know, is there is there? Well, and it's a sin, and, and, it's, sin, and it's a brings sin death. brings so death. So there will be death. There will be death. And I and I just want to kind of I know that you, you, maybe you were going to do this, specify this, but. It's yeah. not that there isn't a blessing in walking in certain ways versus other ways. The blessing is very practical. It's in, you know, if if you do refrain from sexual relations prior to marriage, the blessing is that you get to share that sexual intimacy with with your spouse alone, you know, without this history. And it's not that you God can't forgive you from that or make you totally clean before God. No, that's the point is that there's one standard and it's Christ's righteousness before God and his freedom. But if you, you know, there are practical ramifications to our decisions here on earth. And that's the Proverbs are full of that. And I think we want to differentiate between like the, the, the law of Moses versus just the Proverbs, kind of like these common laws that are like nature wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. There's whole chunks of scripture, like you mentioned, the Proverbs, that are very cause and effect. Yes. And they do rely on an if you do this, then this happens. These don't have anything to do with the gospel. These are just laws of nature. Yes. And yeah, like you mentioned, the just falls, or the rain falls on the just and the unjust in Matthew 5. And it's like your corn's going to grow if you water it. If you are lazy, then you're not going to have money. Yeah. If you are, you know. If you eat unhealthy, then your body will deteriorate deteriorate faster. Yeah. Yes. There's like, just like all these cause and effect things. And character has a lot to do with that too. Right. And so like we, I learned so much from the Proverbs, my parents reading those growing up, because it's just good character principles. The danger is that we form a gospel based around that same. That's right. Mentality. Mentality. Yes. That's a real danger. And oftentimes when you are a person of good character in those areas, the gospel is harder to grasp or to comprehend because you've gotten to where you're at in life, maybe good health, success in your business, a healthy marriage, great relationships, your children are well-behaved. Maybe you've gotten there from great character and, and disciplines in your life, but that will not get you right with God. Your own character or your own discipline or your own efforts uh, are rubbish before God. Yeah, I think of the story of the rich young ruler in mm. the Bible and how Jesus just pushed him past his limit. Because mm-hmm. the young man was saying all these things that he's done for God. And he clearly was just relying on his works mm-hmm. and saying, here's what I have to offer you. Yeah. What else do you want? And the Lord's saying, I don't want any of that. Right. I just want you to believe on me. That's right. And believe that I've done the work. That's right. But it's it's so easy to fall into this. And I do it every single day. I do it every single time I read certain passages Me of scripture. I know. Like you were bringing up so many verses tonight when we were doing the dishes with these if then law connotations. Right. And when you read the verse, like basically you guys, I'm excited to go back in the Bible and just read it through this lens hmm. and see what I find because this is a freshly like 
a freshly baked idea yeah. <laughs> in my mind. But you would say the verse and I'd be like, like even like the one you mentioned with Israel. It's like, okay, well, you should humble yourself and then right. God will hear, heal your land. Like, what about that is not... It says right there, you know, do it. And I think what's so cool, though, is that the gospel of Christianity doesn't start with an if. It is a guarantee. And it's not if Jesus paid for the price for our sin, then we can be reconciled with God. Wow. It's he has done this. Therefore, let's walk in it. Wow. Isn't that powerful? It's powerful. And it just permeates every part of the Bible and every part of our life. And I want to look at scripture through this lens yeah it's like i want to change my perspective when i'm reading if i ask myself the question okay okay what do i need to do in response to this what is it telling me i need to do and first ask what did christ do that changes the scripture and i'm not saying that there's not exhortations to people that are in christ but it is always like katie said that it comes after a therefore you know, the Great Commission to go out and preach the gospel. We're, we're called to go preach something that's been done. We are to be those messengers to go out and to talk about the battle that's been won. And we declare that message. And what's cool is that it's God that brings the faith. You know, so we go and we just tell people, hey, it's been won. The victory has been won. And faith will come from the Holy Spirit's conviction. And we don't need to try to compel people or woo people or convince people. We just tell them the truth of the finished victory, and God will be the one that gives the faith. And uh, and I want to, like you said, Katie, just start seeing that more and more in Scripture rather than pointing it towards me. You know, we talked about this even in, in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. For years and years and years, I was either taught or would tell myself, okay, well, I got to get pure in heart so I can see God. What are some things I can do? Am I, do I need to have, do I need to confess my sin more? How do I purify myself? You know, there was even whole studies that uh, an organization that we were a part of did going into the root word of purification. Like what are the different purification methods that the children of Israel would use? And I would look at that and say like, okay, man, this is good. I need to learn how to purify myself so that I can see God versus, oh man, I can't do that. I I can't, my heart cannot get pure on my own efforts or conniving or, or, or striving. It was purified by God. And David himself said that in, 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 in Psalm 51, he said, he said, you have to purify me, God, with hyssop. You know, hyssop was, were the branches that were used that spread the blood above the, you know, Israelites doorposts so that the God would pass over them, you know, in the Passover. And David himself says, I cannot purify my heart. Lord, cleanse my heart with hyssop and with your righteousness. And that's what Christ has done through his blood and through his death and resurrection, his perfect life. And so when I read, you know, Matthew 5, and it tells me, it says that the blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I say, I am blessed. I'm a blessed man. I'm blessed because God has made me pure in heart, and I will be able to see God because of that. Praise the Lord. That's so cool. Just that difference in reading the scripture leads to a life of belief. Mm-hmm. And that's why we refer to Christians as believers. Right. And yet how often we just stop believing we don't, right. or we don't know what we're b- believing. Mm-hmm. That word becomes so vague, but when we see every verse through this light of believe what Christ has done mm-hmm. and walk in it, yes. it just changes the way you view the whole Bible. It does. 
Folks, I hope that uh, I hope that some of the things we said made sense. <laughs> I know. We had so uh, many of these conversations by ourselves, but this is the first time we're trying to articulate it. Mm. And I, I do just pray, though, that as we continue to share, that the Lord will just speak through it and that he will continue to just clarify this concept over over the years. Yeah, and I, and I know that he's going to teach me so much more hopefully around this and just around his word in general. And, uh, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna shy away from what I'm excited about in the moment. And I feel like the Lord really has me excited about this. And so we're going to talk about it and stumble our way through what we're learning. And we hope that you guys enjoy being a part of it. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you guys so much for being here. It's been, I don't know, an awesome, an awesome Tuesday. Yeah. And we're excited to talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.